I am accused of tending to the past as if I made it, as if I sculpted it with my own hands. I did not. This past was waiting for me when I came. Frances Tiernan Quinn knew next to nothing of Lucille Clifton when he stumbled upon her poem. He's thumbing through an old literature text while waiting his turn on the copier. The room was actually a storage closet for the English department and he warded off the claustrophobia by browsing through discontinued books. Discontinued books, what a terrible term. I am accused of tending to the past, caught his eye. Three lines in, Clifton's verse reached off the page and smacked him in the face. I too stand accused of tending to the past, he said out loud. Guilty as the plea. He closed the book and walked right out the door, forgetting completely about his copies. I'm Jim McGinnis, and welcome to Stories We Can Tell. That was the first paragraph from Tending to the Past. Quinn is the guy who takes us into the classroom and into his head while he wrestles with his own relevance and ego. It's a breezy morning out here on the porch, changing the weather. Dogs are out grazing. Quinn's an old Floridian, three decades into his profession, one point away from being graded a highly effective American history teacher. He loves America. He loves to talk about it, to read about it, to watch movies on it, even listen to songs about it. He can wear you down. His passion and intensity combined with occasional caffeine intoxication makes his class a rather formidable experience. A day which begins with a touching memory or a frost poem can quickly escalate into a raging, coffee-spilling, spit-flying tirade about the British and French mishandling of the Middle East. A lesson on the blind ambition driving America's move west can end with the tear-jerking story of Sam Houston's last words, Texas, Texas, Margaret. God, he loves it. And he's naive enough to get angry when others don't love it. Interrupting a story of FDR's first fireside chat isn't just rudeness, it's blasphemy. American liberty, he repeats constantly, is a religion. Of course, that leads into a digression about the statesmanship of Wendell Wilkie, who is credited with that quote. Heaven help the student who decides to check her phone messages during the lesson. Would you do that in church, Quinn asked, not waiting for an answer. But then there lies the contradictions when his daughter strolls in with his grandkid on her hip, everything stops. When a former student visits in his marine uniform, everything stops and begins again. But these days, Quinn's all over the place like a left-handed pitcher who lost his release point. He has no control over his digressions and literary illusions. And he knows it. He dismisses it not as a possible symptom of mental illness, but as the confluence of art and knowledge. How about that for a rationalization? They are at times invaluable. I am only a teacher, Quinn said. 10 or 12 years ago, I stumbled upon a Jim Harrison interview that led me to that realization. 
He said, I learned that I can maintain my sense of sacredness of existence only by understanding my limitations and losing my self-importance. If I am only a doctor, carpenter, engineer, police officer, preacher, congressman, Harrison said it promotes the humility needed to function as a human being. I am only a teacher. I've spent much of my life learning about and teaching about America in all its tangled complexity, its power, its generosity, its recklessness, its incoherence and spontaneity. And to borrow from the poet, the laughter all mixed up with the serious stuff. I've tried to see my country with both eyes open, so to speak, the conquests, betrayals, and incredible achievements. Through all of it, I've tried to comprehend the gift we've given the world. What is this America? Frost said it's hard to see from within or without. Why do you suppose that is? Oftentimes we see it in bits and pieces in the rearview mirror. We go speeding by. Oh, now that's America. And who are we anyway? Times we seem to be a mere collection of splintered enclaves. Other times we appear to be like Wynton Marsalis's New Orleans, a place with diverse ethnic groups stewed into some musky bowl of gumbo. We don't always like each other, trust each other, or treat each other fairly, but here we are, as the jazz man said, improvising. And what does un-American mean? Word comes out of my mouth on a frequent basis. What other cultures wrestle with such a concept? I'm not sure I can even define it. But like the Supreme Court's explanation of obscenity, I know it when I see it. There have been times through the years when former students have come up to me and said things like, I loved your class. I'm not sure I like the American history stuff, but I sure liked your stories. When you would talk about your family or growing up in Florida, I really enjoyed that. I can't tell you folks how gratifying that is to hear. How rewarding it is to receive such validation. But that is that is the American history stuff. It is the range of human life, the beauty and the ugliness, the city and the country, the haves and the have-nots, the happy and the sad, the missionary and the drunk, the visionary and the fool. I keep kicking around the idea of quitting, wrestling with the notion that I could be doing something else, but I wonder what could I be doing that's more important than this. The answer is not always clear, mind you, so yes, I'll admit that I've become a, a bit more deciduous these days. My moods swing freely from light to dark and to places in between. I am, as one colleague described, rough around the edges. Another was more to the point. You're not a very sympathetic character. <laughs> of course, my friend Houston said, hey, you're not the lion anymore. Deal with it. Through all this, 
for some reason, some purpose, I found myself surrounded by angels. Was it Whitman who said he deserved his enemies, but not his friends? Something like that. Just when I'm about to lose optimism, something comes along to remind me of all that is good, a colleague filled with joy, a new David McCullough book, a grandchild. Maybe a question from an inquisitive kid that kicks me in the ass. It happens all too often not to have mystical implications. Decades ago, I was given an old painting of Abraham Lincoln by my mentor. The picture is yellowed and stained from the hurricanes that have blown through over the years. I have to laugh at the fact that this old leaky school is still an evacuation center. Anyway, I took the gift as a passing of the torch and I charged myself with being a local custodian of history. Somewhere along the way, I also became a custodian, quite custodial toward my students, pushing, prodding, and preaching. I love them for their curiosity and their sense of wonder, but there are undercurrents and pressures that have gotten between the students and their teacher. A whole lot of my time and energy is spent trying to break down those walls. The struggle has at times blinded me to an essential truth. It's not that I teach, but what I teach. My mentor's insistence that I must love my subject more than my students has often gone unheeded. Painting still hangs in my classroom, but I have to wonder just how long it'll be there. Maybe it's time for the torch to be passed again. I still feel like I'm doing good, and to quote JFK, quoting Dante, the sins of the warm-hearted are weighed on a different scale than those of the cold-blooded. I like that line. It's a salve for flawed men. present state of affairs in our republic haunts me. The realization that we don't know what we have here distorts any feelings of accomplishment. There are times when it warps my happiness and sense of well-being. It's time to take stock in what we've done and what we failed to do. And that, of course, starts with education. Oh, I still do love teaching, and although I had a rough go of it lately, I still enjoy the hell out of it splendid misery to use a term I borrowed from Jefferson but not everything you love is good for you like cigars I might be better off without it as you get to know me the Buffett quotes make more sense there is indeed a pirate in here somewhere as the poet's westward moving brook I've been known to run counter to myself now there's more than one calling in a man's life just depends on which one he answers. Now, if you don't think teaching is a terribly interesting endeavor, you've got another thing coming. In this profession, you never say I've seen it all. Kids can be amazing, frustrating, lazy, compassionate, curious, aggravating, and violent all in the span of an hour. They are vulnerable, but also resilient and always unpredictable. 
Ask my former colleague who was stabbed in the abdomen with a number two pencil while trying to rescue a bullied student. The young teacher had just been bragging about the discipline in his classroom. Kiss of death, his pride took a lot longer to heal than the wound in his side. Now my heroes and mentors come from all over the spectrum, but I'm also a product of the students who sat in my classroom. Many of them have done the teaching, the challenging, the inspiring. From the Persian girl schooling me on the role of women in history, to the kid sitting through a year's worth of my lectures with his arms folded, but then giving me a gift at the end of the year, Howard Zinn's book, History of the American People. It challenged me. And there was Daniel, who I talked into standing for the pledge, Ivy, the Muslim girl who made so many lunchtime visits, those who brought their guitars to class and those who shared their faith. One let me Shane Claiborne's Irresistible Revolution, a book on grassroots Christianity. It was something I could never have seen myself reading, but I did because she asked me to, and it changed me. There were those who laughed and those who sat bewildered at my sarcasm and twisted sense of irony. I got something from all of them. From the girl who needed to tell me about losing her dog and another about why she broke up with her boyfriend, although I didn't ask. To those who brought me sweets and green tea and quotes they had found on their own. And then Claire, the girl with the violin. In every one of them, there's a trace of audacity. Reaching back to Jefferson's words, there is in each the daring to pursue his or her own happiness. Maybe it's my job to try to make sure that their intrepid boldness never slumbers. And maybe it's the legacy that I must pass on to my younger colleagues.